0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Good morning, everybody. You're going to wonder now, why did I make the ushers' life so difficult and make them say, please give a Lindor ball to all the ladies? Because I'm sure, how many, how many ladies said, but I'm not a mother, Nick? How many? All of them. Did anyone say I'm not a mother when they got a lindle ball? I'm happy to get a Lindo ball. Okay, so but basically the reason why is because as far as I'm concerned, giving birth to a child does not make you a mother. You're going to go, what? You can give birth to a child and give it up for adoption. You're not a mother. A mother is a person who spends... Hours and minutes and days on her knees. A mother's the one that stays up nights with fevers. Don't you dare start Olivia because I'm going to start crying. A mother is someone who sacrifices who she is to bring others up. That is spiritually, that is emotionally, that is physically, and that is God given mothers. So a lot of people say to me, Oh, you've only got two kids. Sorry, I don't just have two kids. I've got more than two kids. Women love to say to me, aren't you going to try for a boy? I'm like, no. This body has had enough. It is done. So all the old Greek ladies say to me, come on, you have to try for a boy, your poor husband. You know what I want to say to them? They won't understand, obviously, because they're orthodox. I I want to say to them, listen, I have a spiritual son. I don't know who had more mercy, him or me, because um, I wasn't part of his teenage years. I make sure he eats his vegetables, right, Siobhan? Make sure he eats his vegetables. If he, if he steps wrong, I go, Siobhan, that's not the right way to do it. So I have a son. And I pray that we'll have more, many more sons, Michael. You didn't have to potty trade him. And I didn't have to potty trade him. <laughs> so basically, uh, I don't like preaching. And you're going to say to me, why, Helen? I'll tell you why I don't like preaching. Because when you preach, you tend to spend more time in prayer and more time in the Word. And who knows what happens when you do that? You get a nice big target on your butt. I've had my butt kicked this week. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you two things that happened, uh, besides the fact that Lily decided the night before last not to sleep. Um, so basically, um, God has been speaking to me about how I need to be more healthy physically. Um, as moms, we tend to forget ourselves We tend to give everybody else breakfast except yourself. And you forget to pack your own lunch. So you go the whole day and you're like, I don't have anything to eat. So I grab a packet of chips. I grab a Coke. And you cannot live in chips and Coke. No matter how much we wish it or no matter how much I wish I could live on Coke, I can't. So God has been speaking to me and saying, Helen, you need to get yourself healthier. If you want to run this race with me, you've got to make sure you can endure it. So Helen started running. And I use the term running very loosely because I don't run very fast. So a friend of mine got together with my sister and law, we decided, okay, we're gonna go running. But now my friend is a teacher, and teachers have to be at school at who knows what time, seven o'clock in the morning. So he says to me, no, no problem, Helen, I'll run with you, but we need to run at five. I'm like, okay, so I have to be up at half past four to get dressed, to get ready to be at her house at five o'clock. It's not easy, but I do it because I have to run. So one day I'm driving in my car, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden, be it God or me, I'm not sure. I have a very overreactive imagination. And a, the thought dropped in my head, you'll get up at half past four to go running, but you won't get up at half past four to go pray. Ow! That was Ana. And then a couple of weeks later, this week actually happened. Um, when, I, when I get up for running, I set my alarm, and I'm up, Literally. Got, and I go into the TV room, because I don't want to wake up Michael, and I get my clothes on, out the door, drive to where she is to go running. And I'm doing this, and, and, then, and then the thought bumps into my head, whether it's God or me, you decide. And I thought to myself, when you're meeting your friends for running, you have no problem getting out of bed. When you meet for me, that snooze button is used like nothing. So the thought then goes, yeah, but there's someone waiting for me. Who knows what the next thought was? Helen? I'm waiting for you, and then the, I, I do have an overactive imagination, as I said, so I'm now picturing my couch, all those who have been in the house, it's the, the three-seater couch with the mirror behind me, and I'm picturing God there waiting. I'm like, oh, who can stay in bed after that? Definitely not me. So I've had my butt kicked. I, it takes a lot for Michael to say, Helen, it's your turn to preach, because I'm like, yeah, oh, but the kids then, you know, that night they don't sleep, and it's not, I'll take night shift. I'm like, Okay, deal. So hence, I am here. And to start off, um, I want to just give a disclaimer. I am not a feminist. Men, you can have role as leader of the household. We don't want it. Am I right, ladies? They can have it. I, don't, I really, it's yours. I don't want it. Ephesians five twenty-two to 26 from the New King James says, wives, do you guys want to turn there? Do you want me to wait for you? No, Rex got it up. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The message there says, understand and support your husband. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is uh, subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands. In everything, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. that he he might sanctify, cleanse her with washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So wives, we are called to submit to our husbands, right? I think we got the easiest task. Not only are they called to die for us, as Christ died for the church, they are called to present us without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, Good luck, Michael. Thank you, (laughs) L'Oreal. Good luck, Michael. So I believe men is head of house. I have absolutely no problem with that authority. Um, So I just want to give you that before I go there. And we're all family, right? You all love me. So if I say something wrong, you will forgive me and Michael will pick up the pieces next week. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to read my not-so-favorite scripture. Proverbs 31, all the women go, oh, hey man, yes, I am going to go there. Proverbs 31, 10 to 33, and I know you were distracted by the cute little voices, so I am going to read it again for you. The background of this scripture, it was written by King Liamel, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Basically, thank you, nobody knows who this king was. There is talk that it could have been Solomon, there's talk that it could have been another king, no one actually knows. So basically, this scripture was written by this king, and it was him recording the advice his mother gave him. So to my knowledge, this woman doesn't actually exist, but we will read it anyway. A good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cotton, enjoys knitting and sewing. She's like a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before dawn preparing breakfast for her family and organizing her day. She looks over a field and buys it. Then with her money, she puts aside and plants a garden. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work, is in no hurry to call it quits, quits for the day. She's skilled in the craft of her home and hearth, diligent in homemaking. She's quick to assist anyone in need, reaches out to help the poor. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows. Their winter clothes are all mended and ready, ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linen and silks. Her husband greatly respects is greatly respected when he deliberates with the city fathers. She designs gowns and sells them, brings the sweaters she knits to the dress shop. Her clothes are well made and elegant, and she, is, and she always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in her household and keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her, Her husband joins in with words of praises. Many women have done wonderful things, but you have outclassed them all. Charm can mislead, and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. Give her everything she deserves. Festoon her her life with praises. I don't know about you, but this woman sounds like superwoman to me. I know women who, parts of these I can say, yeah, that's that person, yeah, that's that person. I don't know a woman who encompasses all of this. Not only is she elegant, not only is she well-dressed, she makes her own clothes. Not just that, she is a businesswoman. Not just that, she probably wakes up at 4, 5 o'clock in the morning to make breakfast for everyone and probably the last one to go to sleep, so she's got endurance. Not only that, she, what else can I say? She looks after everybody else. So she's a philanthropist. She looks after the poor. She looks, I mean, come on. God, like, who, who do you honestly, who can fulfill this? Because I can't. Um, so when I, when I was going through this, it reminded me of, I'm going to tell you a lot of stories from my life because I believe I'm a Sunday school teacher. That's what I do. So basically, I, your kids learn by giving examples. So I'm going to give you two examples of two wake-up calls that I got in my life. One was as a wife, and one was as a mother. Um, And the first one as a wife was, Michael and I have been married for 10 years, for those of you who don't know. And we made it, love, 10 years. So basically, we went away on honeymoon. And uh, when I got back from honeymoon, I'm, I'm like, okay, my honeymoon fairies are gone. There's no one to make the bed. There's no one to make breakfast. It's now my job. There's no one to wash the clothes. There's no one to clean the house. It's now me. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Wake up call number one. Um, So yes, you know, we're in partnership, and, and, you know, Michael does cook. He's a very good cook. He's actually a better cook than me. But the weight of it falls to me because, I mean, he works longer hours than I do. His responsibility in the church at that time was far more than mine. So the load fell to me. So I'm like, okay, we, we we can do this. And the one night I decided I'm going to cook him a special meal. So I pull out my recipe books and I'm looking through, oh, fish dish with paprika. That sounds good. He likes fish. He likes spice. Let's do it. So I buy all the ingredients. I get home, do all what I need to do. And then I read the recipe and it says paprika. I'm like, okay, I don't know if I have smoked paprika. That should work, Right. So, okay, cool. So I put the smoked paprika in. I do everything else. Michael comes home. The can- table is set. I think there was candles and music and all of it. I'm like, yes, i done it. And he sits down and he says prayers and we both take a bite. And we like spit it out very politely and, and I start crying. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's terrible. I didn't know that smoked paprika was stronger than normal paprika. So the first thing that I cooked for my husband went into the bin, and we ordered pizza. I still remember the pizza delivery lady walks in, and she sees the recipe book, and she goes, why, what happened? And I'm like, well, it ended up in the bin. Sorry. So I'm like, okay, all right, not a very good wife, can't cook for my husband, and then the second wake-up call comes. So we were married for two years before we decided we are going to start to have kids, and then we started to try to have kids, and nothing happened. It took, if most of you know, it took us us a while to fall pregnant with with Leah. I had to have an operation with Leah, and it took us another two years to fall pregnant with Lily. Uh, Something lovely called Clomid had to help us with that. Anyone who's been on it will understand what I'm saying. So basically, the reason why I'm telling you this is because I am a researcher by nature. You give me a subject, I go Google. Love Google. I read, I go to the library. I love to research and do stuff. So when we started trying to have kids, I went and I researched everything about kids. I talked to other moms, I, pediatricians. I was asking them questions when I was pregnant. My doctor, I think he got 101 questions from me. Is this right? How do I do this? No, 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 no. Anyway, researched it to death. All the mothers are smiling at me because you know what I'm going to say, don't you? No matter how well prepared you think you're going to be, guess what? You know nothing. You know nothing. So <laughs> Leah arrives, a small but healthy 2.3 kilos. And the last day in the hospital, I could not stop crying. Michael's like, Chris, Mom, come now. Helen would not stop crying. In the car on the way home, Helen's crying. I think I still cried for another two days after that. <laughs> <Then> I <started. laughs> Unbeknownst to me, I was struggling with postnatal depression. So basically, um, they always say to you the best thing you can do for your mother is, for your children is, breastfeed. Guess what Helen could not do? I have the scar to prove I could not breastfeed. Fail number two, not only am I a bad mother, I'm a bad wife, I can't cook for my husband, I can't feed my own child, and I, and it, and I was like, Lord, seriously, what are you doing to me? So I'm like, okay. And we, and we worked, obviously, through that. And Leah's a very, very, very healthy child. And so as Lily just, Leah's just a bit small. She'll always be small. Anyway, so thank God, God did not leave me there. After 10 years of marriage and, and six years as a mother, I have stretched and I have grown a little bit. And the Proverbs 31 woman gives us the answer. The, the woman who fears God. Charm. charm can mislead, but beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who fears God. For those of us who struggle with the sacrifice of wife and motherhood, we need to understand that you are more than just a cook, a cleaner, and a bottle washer. And a lot of women just get stuck there. And I believe it is a tact of the enemy. Because if he could keep you there, then you're going to think that's all you are. Yeah. And you are more than a cook, a bottle washer, and a feeder. You are who God says you are. Lisa Bevere basically says it this way, and I'm going to read the quote, gender does not define you. Whose you are defines you. And the only way you're going to find find out who you are is by spending time with your maker. He will then tell you, hang on a second, What are you what are you going nuts about? I didn't make you just this facet. You're not just this. You are more than just this. You are more than just a mother and a wife. I have made you to be all of this. And we've got to stop thinking and boxing ourselves in to say that's all I'm good for. Because I'm sorry, I don't know about you, but if all I had to do was wash dishes and cook dishes, and I think I'd go mad. I'm all right. I'd go completely insane. So as a wife, who are we called to be? Well, when God saw Adam in the garden, this is what he said in Genesis 2, verse 18. Let's turn there. Genesis 2, verse 18. Okay. In the New Living Translation, which I don't think we have upstairs, I'll just read it to you. It is not good for man man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Just right for him for him. So yes, we get to serve our husbands, but what we need to understand, it takes strength and dignity to serve people. Often, um, I I enjoy watching documentaries, and, and I was watching a documentary, I think it was on the queen's butler, and he's very dignified. To him, it's a complete honor to be in service. For most butlers, they see it as a calling. It is my calling to be in service to other people. I thought to myself, you know, that's one. That's definitely a nicer way of looking at it than being a cook and a bottle washer. I, I think I'll steal his. It's, it takes strength to do service. So what if you have to carry most of the the load at house, at the house, and with the children? It's not fair. I agree, but what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit and moan? Yes, I'm kicking my own butt. Yeah, I used to go to sit and moan and complain. You know, he's working so many nights a week. I'm, you know. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit and moan and you complain, or are you going to just deal with it? Are you going to pull on your big girl panties? (laughs) You're not a woman. I'm not talking to you. Are you just going to to have to do it, because no one else can do it. If he's out working and he's out doing what he needs to do, then you've got to also do what you need to do and finish it quickly, so you can do the other things you need to do. (laughs) Our attitude in doing it is what is important. And, and please, believe me, I'm speaking more to myself than to anyone else because I do not find it easy to be a mother. It's not a natural fit to me. You know, you get those natural mothers who think they can do anything. This is not me. Not me. I like my sleep. I like my alone time. When you have little kids, that doesn't happen. They follow you into the toilet because, Mommy, what you doing? Why? 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 So we're going to talk about Esther. Uh, and just to give you a bit of background, Esther was originally called Hadassah in her Jewish name, because she was originally Jewish before she became Queen, Queen Esther. And she was married to King Xerxes, and King Xerxes was the king of Persia during that time. Um, and basically, she had to go through all this preparation, and you know, well, then before she met the one night with the king, and then obviously they got married. Um And King Xerxes was not exactly a very nice man. I mean, the the one night with the king, the book kind of like glosses over it. He wasn't a very nice man. He was a man of war. He was a difficult man to deal with. He was impatient. He was stubborn. I mean, he was a Persian man, need I say more? Persian man, Greek man, kind of the same. Anyway, we won't go there. Um So now, Haman, who is in the king's court, he's kind of worked his way up. He has a thing against the Jewish people. And he now goes to the king and he says, you know, these people, we need to, no, he doesn't go to the king, sorry, he starts doing underwork. And a law is now passed that on such a day, I don't know what what, what it is in the actual calendar, such a day, all the Jews will be killed and their land will be taken. Now Esther hears about this. Her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, do you know what? She says, well, what must I do about it? And the famous words that he says is, do not think that because you are the queen of Persia, your life will be spared. Who knows if you were born for such a time as this? So she then sends a message back to Mordecai, and this is what she says in Esther verse 4, chapter 4, verse 11. In the message it says, Everyone who works for the king here, and even the people out in the provinces, know that there is a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited. Death. The one exception is if the king extends his gold scepter, then she may live. Now, during this time, King Xerxes had ignored Queen Esther. We don't, I don't exactly know why. Um, I I watched the movie, and in the movie it's because he thinks that she's had an affair, but I don't know if that's exactly scriptural. So he's ignored her for 30 days. Hasn't seen her, hasn't called her, hasn't talked to her, nothing. So now she's like, okay, now I have to go plead for the Jewish people and now approach the king. And if if he doesn't want to see me, I'm dead. So what does she do? She calls. She sends a message back to Mordecai. I don't know if it was someone running backwards and forwards because they didn't have emails and telephones. And they said, "Get everyone to to fast for three days. No, no drink, no food, nothing. And all they must do was was pray. And I will do the same with my hands, my my maid servants." So that is what that is what happens. And after this, she now decides, I'm going to approach the king. And for those of you who've seen the movie, the movie puts it far more dramatically than the Bible does, in that she's now running and she bursts the doors open and she's now walking and everybody, walking up into the throne room to the king and everyone's now looking at her whispering knowing that if the king doesn't want to see her, the guards are standing there with their massive swords and their head's going to get chopped off. So basically what happens is, is he reaches out the golden scepter to her. She doesn't immediately start demanding. Please, please save my people, which I found quite interesting. What does she do? As all women know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. (laughs) The Greek side of me. She says to him, come to supper with Haman. I'd like to invite the two of you to supper. And I'm not sure, I don't think she cooked it herself, but she still did the serving at the table. And then after that, the king please, what can I do for you? So she says, no, 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 let's let's do another supper. I don't know if she was really trying to fatten him up or she was just really scared, but, okay, so they come back for the supper, and supper is eaten. And again he says to her, what can I do for you? She still does not demand. And I find her words here very interesting. In Esther chapter 7, verse 3, so now after the king had said, what can I do for you? Anything I can do for you is yours. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it pleases the king, give me my life and give me the life of my people. She does it with dignity, with strength, and with just gentleness. She doesn't go in demanding, and you know, this man here, you know, kill him because he's trying to kill me. I'm your wife. You know, aren't you going to defend me? She does it gently, she does it quietly. She serves them, and then she submissively does it. I found that very interesting. Now, James Dobson says about being a mother, oh, sorry, being a parent, he says this, parenting is not for cowards. And all of us who are parents know that. It gets messy, both spiritually, both physically, and naturally. Anyone who's changed a nappy that overflows knows that parenthood is messy. Yes. Sometimes you need to fight for your kids. Sometimes you need to pick up your spiritual sword and your spiritual shield and you need to go to war. What I mean by that is um, you're gonna, funny thing, when my kids run fevers, anyone who know, I mean most of us know, when a fever hits 40 then you, you gotta start, then things happen, you have to. if you can't break the 40 degree fever you have to take them into hospital because they get convulsions and all sorts of things. So when the fever starts hitting 38.5, 39, Helen, Helen's now right. Let's go. Bath, you know, cool cloth, panada, neurofin, let's go, let's go. Let's, and I thought to myself, Helen, you haven't prayed. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I feel like I'm actually going to war. Because if I don't get this fever down, I have to take this child to hospital. And nine times out of ten, they're going to admit the child if you take the child to emergency. And there's just a whole lot of other issues. So Helen now starts. Okay, Lord, please Thank you, Lord, for healing. You know, we're going to break this fever. And I still do the norepinephrine, the panado, the empiped. You know, you just carry on and you carry on doing what you need to do until the fever breaks. I'm not one for confrontation. I don't like confrontation. But you mess with my kids, you're going to hear me. And uh, going, sending your kids to school is very difficult because you're no longer there 24-7. My kids only started going, going to school at 3 when they could talk. And they didn't have to have the nappies changed. I don't like people changing my baby's nappies. So when my daughter comes and says, you oh, know, mommy, the teacher said this to me. I have to stop myself from, from, from going to the teacher. First, I have to say, Leah, why did the teacher say that to you? Because nine times out of ten, it was my kid's fault, not the teacher's fault. You know, so what I'm saying. But there's still something in, in me that goes, eh, I don't like that. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 8, now the context of the scripture is is God talking to Israel, the judgment of Israel. That's the context of the scripture. But what I found interesting is the comparison that he uses. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 8, I will jump them like a sow grizzly robbed of her cubs, I will rip out their guts. Uh, That ain't pretty. And I mean, all of us know, mother's instinct, you do not mess with a mother's child. You will get the grizzly bear. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is natural instinct. Sometimes, you cannot physically fight for your children. You have to go on your knees and fight for your children. You have to wear out the carpet by your bed because if they're too old for you to kind of give them a, put them over your knee, which we're actually technically not allowed to do anymore. But there are times when you cannot be there for them 24-7. A lot of the parents of adult children know that. When your kids leave the house, they don't stop being your children. So you've got to get on your knees, and you sometimes have to do spiritual warfare on your knees for your children, whether they've lost their faith or whether they're dealing with a difficult thing at, at school or at work or at varsity. That's where a lot of our parenting is done as they get older. I don't know how mothers do it without God. Honestly, I don't know. There are times when I'm sitting there and I'm going, God, I actually don't know what to do. There are times when it's quick, and and Leah loves asking me questions. And generally, the questions are pretty easy to answer. Until one day, we were driving home from school, and my six-year-old, six-year-old looks at me and goes, Mommy, can a girl marry a girl and a boy marry a boy? I'm like, God, please help me because I want to teach her your ways, but at the same time, I need to impart love to this child. Please, Lord, help me. And thank God he was there, and he gave me the words to speak, because if I had spoken the wrong words in that instant, I would have solidified something in her mind that would have carried her life long. And as, as parents and as mothers, we're generally the ones that the kids go to with these questions, and if we, don't, if we haven't spent time in God and with God We won't have those answers. I'm dreading the day she comes to me and says, "Mommy, how are babies born?" I am dreading it. (laughs) I might just do that. She's seen women pregnant. She hasn't. She kind of knows that there's a baby inside, but she hasn't quite clicked that baby has to come out. And I, I'm like, Lord, I'm already dreading that answer. And and Tony Fitzgerald has a very interesting saying that I never thought of until I had kids. He says very often he says to says to us as leaders, never say to your child when I was your age. Because we are never going to be their age. They are growing up in a time in a world that is completely foreign to when we were younger. I mean I was I was thirty two when we had Leah. I can't remember. Anyway. So, so there's, there's a 32-year gap between us, and it's not that massive a gap, but it is a gap. But when I was six, I was not thinking about stuff like that. I was climbing trees and falling out trees and riding horses and doing all that stuff. I wasn't worried about who marries who and that stuff. We will never be their age, and if we do not spend time with God and seek God for his answers, when those questions come, we're not going to be able to answer them. Because if, this, if a six-year-old can ask me a question like that, what is she going to ask me at eight? What is she going to ask me at ten? What is she going to ask me at sixteen, at twenty-one? And we have to think of that. We have to prepare ourselves now for what the questions that are going to come. Let us support one another. You know, this mom wars that happens. drive me insane. And, and I, I experienced mom wars when I, when I stopped breastfeeding Leah. I had to stop when she was three months old. I had to have an operation because there were problems. So I remember I was wheeled into recovery, and a nurse, it was one of the times where the mother, the mother bared me came out, That I'm lying in recovery, um, and the nurse comes to me and says to me, how dare you stop breastfeeding? Do you know what you've done? And I turned to her, I looked at her in the face, and I said, please don't talk to me, you don't know the battle I've been through. And we've got to learn as mothers to stop criticizing one another and pointing at one another and saying, oh, look what she's doing. She's not doing the right thing. We've got to learn to stand together as mothers and support one another. And I'm not just speaking to the women who've had children. I'm speaking to the unmarried woman here. Do you know that you were born with the exact amount of eggs, your ovum? You are born with that many. You don't make them. You are born in your mother's womb and you have your ovum already in you. So your children are already in you. So I'm not just speaking to the people who have had kids, spiritual, adoptive, whatever. I'm talking to you. We've got to learn that as mothers, the strongest person we can go to besides God and besides our husband is each other. Because no one's going to know what it's like to stay up in the hospital 3, 4 in the morning when your baby is screaming except another mother. There's attachment parenting, non-attachment parenting, vaccination, non-vaccination, breastfeeding, non-breastfeeding. To be quite honest, since what I have been through, I say to mothers, do what you need to do to make it through. Personally, I can't have kids in my bed. I I don't sleep. And it's ever. Leah was small, so I had to kangaroo her for the first three days of her life. For those of you who don't understand what it means, it's skin-to-skin contact. So instead of lying down flat, I had to lie propped up with her on my chest, and that's how we had to sleep, basically for the first two to three months of her life. So it scarred me for life, and I do not want kids in my bed. I, mm, I'll go to their bed if they can't sleep, but they're not in my bed. So mothers, when they hear that, they go, yeah, but I sleep with my kid." I'm like, it's, it's okay. You do what you need to do. If that's what you need to do to get you and your, and your child to sleep, do it. Who am I to judge? I don't know what that mother's been through. That mother doesn't know what I've been through. And it's important that we stop this mumbo. And we realize that we're actually on the same side, fighting for the same thing to bring up godly children. And to be quite honest, I don't think God cares if your baby sleeps in your bed or not. So why is it that we are considered the weaker sex? We might be weaker in in, in strength. I mean, I wouldn't want to arm wrestle a lot of the men here because they would technically win. So why is it that we are brought from one covering to another for... For basically, you're under your father's covering until the day of marriage, and then the the minister says, who gives this woman? And your father goes, I do. And that basically means when you go from under your father's covering under your husband's covering. Does God honestly think we can't look after ourselves? That's not the case. And I thought of a very good illustration here. Um, So basically, I have two books. For those of you who gave my daughter this book, I promise I do cherish it. So just bear with me. They're exactly, approximately the same weight, approximately the same size. Didn't break. How many of you cringed? How many of you cringe when you thought I was gonna throw the Bible on the floor? Right. Why? They're both books. If anything, this one is made stronger than this one because it's gonna last longer. Why would you cringe when I'm gonna throw a book on on the floor? It's a book. You know why. There's value in this book. You're not going to sit and put your coffee cup on this book. You're not going to open it and start, let your child's rifle through it and tear the pages. in the, But it's a book. But why do you take care of this book more than you take care of this book? It's worth more. It's far more precious. And that is why God puts us under covering because we are precious to him. It's not something that we have to go, God, do I have to submit again? He puts you there for a reason and a purpose. You are precious to him. You are worth far more than diamonds. You are worth far more than gold. And just as you would look after your gems, ladies, you would polish your ring, you wouldn't put your, you know, when you put your hand in your mincemeat, I don't know about you, but I take my rings off. You don't want to, you don't, Slam your hand against the wall where your wedding ring is. You take care of it. Same goes for women. That's how God takes care of Mark and I, as I said, have been married for 10 years and he is a, he, he's been brought up as a gentleman. He opens the car door for me. He lets me go through the door first. Because he lets me through the door first doesn't mean that I can't walk through the door any better than him. It's a sign of respect. And I don't understand those women that get upset because someone let them through the door first. I'm like, he's showing you respect. Let him do it. This is one of the few ways that he can do it. When kids come, things change. You both get on either side of the car and you're buckling the kids in and there's no time for him to run around and open the door for you. So much so that uh, I'm going somewhere with my boss before I, before I walked into the church. Sorry, I'm um, working here. And he walks on his side and I walk on my side and I'm standing there waiting for him to come out and open the door for me. I'm like, stupid, he's not gonna open the door for you. It's your boss. There's nothing wrong with being treated with respect and honesty and dignity and, and being precious to someone. In fact, girls, if a guy doesn't open the car door for you, If he, hoots, if he goes outside your, your, your house and he hoots for you to come out. But on top of that, girls, there's no such thing as Prince Charming. There is no such thing as Prince Charming. There was a Prince Charming. He died on the cross for you, and he's waiting for you when you go to heaven, and apparently is coming on a white horse, so there is a Prince Charming. <laughs> <laughs> but not physically on the earth. How unfair of it is it? Just think about it. Who are we to put such pressure on them? He's not going to rescue you. Rescue yourself. You're strong enough. Who are we to put this? Oh no! You, you, you must be the reason why I live. (laughs) Um. What happens if he dies? It happens. There are women who have been married for 10, 15 years and their husband dies in a tragic car accident. Are you going to fall apart? You must understand that we are in this marriage as equal partners. Just because you do the more subservient thing doesn't make you less equal. You've got to be able to survive without your partner. Because who knows, maybe God's going to take him away traveling. Look at my mother. Before we came to Cape Town, my dad had to go to, to the States for three months. She had small kids and a business to run. You cannot fall apart. You have to be able to stand on your own two feet. And the only way you're going to do it is by getting close to God. Because if your husband's not there to cry on his shoulder, whose shoulder are you going to cry on? You're going to cry on God's shoulder. There's a study that's been done um, by doctors in Australia, and as I said, I'm a researcher, so I found this very interesting. Um, Can you put up that slide, please, Rick? So you can read it along with me. Australian National University Medical School did some research on this, and based on the records from 2,549 infants admitted to 10 neonatal intensive care, sorry, uh, units, the NICU in Australia, between 1998 and 2004, this is what they found. They found that 2,500 infants were, that of the 2,500 infants born preterm in their 28th week of pregnancy or, or, or earlier, boys have a somewhat lower survival rate. We, we were more likely to have long-term neurological problems like blindness, deafness, cerebral palsy. Of the 1,394 baby boys born, 23% died in hospital compared to 19% of girls. The extreme preemie boys had a higher rate of moderate to severe functional disability by the time they were three years old. Those problems included blindness, deafness, cerebral palsy, and mental retardation. Affected nearly 20% of boys versus 12% of girls. So, the scientists, even though they don't believe in God, have proven that a baby in womb and, and early years, the girl is stronger than the boy. Don't tell me we're the weaker sex, because I ain't going to accept that from you. Why do you think Satan loves to attack us in that you're the weaker sex, you can't do it? You can't do that. Who do you think? Because if he can keep you in your insecurities, he's got you for life. And the, the most places where Satan attacks women is in the insecurities, is in their body image, is you don't look as young as, as, you, know, as you should do. Your hair started going grade 18. I had to my hair since the age of 18. I mean, come on. Who do you think you are? And once you have children... If he's got your body image insecurities, guess whose body image insecurity it transfers to? Your daughter. So you're no longer fighting your own insecurities. You gotta remember, you are fighting your future daughter's insecurities. And it's important that we break the cycle. The cycle must stop with us. As mothers, we gotta learn The buck must stop with us and no more. I don't care if you didn't have a mother or father previously. If you had an absent mother or father, yes, okay, life was tough. We get it. But he has not left you alone. He's put you in a family where you can gravitate to a spiritual mother and father. My dad was left in a foreign country at the age of 16. Parents gone. Brother suffering from mental disability. He's on his own. Can't speak the language. He now has to work. How did he learn to become a father? It's important to realize that just because you had a bad start in life, it does not stop there. You've been given the tools and the people around you to do what needs to be done. And it's up to you to fight for your future children or the children you already have. Being a Mormon, a wife, and a mother is a great privilege. I often say to Leah, I helped God made you. She looks at me. I said, without me, God couldn't have made you. He chose me to put you inside. If I ate the wrong things, if I drank the wrong things, and if I smoked, you would not be who you are. A man does not have that privilege. Think of it. You helped God create that little person. Great, no greater love, uh, sorry, John 15, verse 3, greater love has no man than this to, to lay his life down for one's friend. There's no, no greater weapon in our arsenal than to serve one another and to serve each other and to sacrifice for each other. If, I mean, if, if, if Jesus did it, who, who are we less to do it? And I'm going to close with this quote from Matthew Arnold in the 90s, a 19th century poet, and I think it holds true. If there ever comes a time when women of the world come together purely and simply for the benefit of mankind, it will be a force such as the world has never known. Ladies, it's time to stop sitting back and and, and leaving it all up to the men. We weren't called to just sit back in and be comfortable. There was a scripture that I missed that I just want to go back to. Psalm 144, verse 11 and 12. David is giving a picture of what it is when man and woman stand together. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of the foreigners, whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood that our sons may be plants growing in their youth, that our daughters may be pillars sculptured in the palace style. A A pillar is not weak. A pillar holds weight. So it's time that we in this church, as women, stop sitting back and saying, yeah, men can do it. The men can do the praying. The men can do what they need to do. We'll just sit and be comfortable and serve our kids. I'm sorry, God has called us for much more than that. He's called us to be pillars, beautiful pillars as decorated in a palace, thank God for that, but pillars nonetheless, pillars who hold weight. And the only way we're going to hold that weight is if we know not just who we are, but whose we are. I just want to please close your eyes as we just close in prayer. Father God, I want to come to you this morning and I want to bring every woman that's sitting here, Father, not just the mothers, every woman that is sitting here, Father, I just want to thank you for their lives. Thank you for the 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 story that you have put in them. Father God, I pray that as they spend time with you, Father, you'll reveal to them who you intend them to be, that they're not just the cook, the bottle washer, and the cleaning lady. That they are called to be your son, that your daughter, Father, to stand in the place where you have put them, to carry the spiritual load that you have intended for them to carry. Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to leave you with one question. This question has been burning in me for a while. Long time. We all know that that Mary was the chosen one to give birth to the Christ. What happens if she said no? And who knows how many other women God went to and said, I'd like to give birth to my son. We don't know. What happens if she said no? He would have found someone else. She would not have been the woman that we look up to today. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.